if you had a big excavator, it can do a lot of good stuff. But if you put it in the hands of someone who doesn't know how to run it, like, what good does it do you? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Deer Society Podcast. I'm Brian Lemke, joined by JJ Ducart and special guest in the studio today, Mr. Jeremy Moore from Hodag and Dogbone. Jeremy, thanks for making the trick over. Thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Hodag is just a part of what you do. Yep. So, uh, you know, another big part of what you do is Dogbone yep. um, and dealing with dogs. And, and uh, I know that you and JJ had some, had some conversations at ATA, excuse me, and talked about some different scent uh things for, that are similar between dogs and deer. Um, so let's kind of get into that side of things, you know, the dog bone side of things and that, that yeah. kind of entity of your business. Yeah. Well, you, I, so you're right. Like as a small business for us, that's, Hodeg is a, is a, is a nice part of it. Dog bone's a nice part of it, but it really, it's like, it, it's two passions of mine, you know, like I love deer. Like I really love deer, but I'm a big dog guy. Like I'm, I'm really into dogs and training dogs, hunting dogs. And so for us, that's, uh, for me personally, it's like the, the perfect world. I mix in, you know, the things I really love. And JJ, you and I talked a lot about not only some of the, you know, there's, there are direct connections to, to dogs and deer tracking you know minnesota is legal now we we work with the united blood trackers and have worked with them over the years and they've made a, a great push for making tracking dogs legal in a lot of states and they're very efficient game finding tools like i think as a hunter we you know it's maybe one of the most valuable things we have we certainly know it as upland hunters and gun dog guys the value of a retriever well with with big game, I think it's the same. So, you know, it allows me to like get my mind engaged in both both kind of aspects of it. And our from a business standpoint, it, it works really well for us because I get to think about shit I love all the time. Well, yeah, it was just so interesting because you got you kind of live in those two worlds. We live in whitetail world only. I don't even have a dog, but um, the aspects of you know dogs and how they use scent and how you're training and how dogs are thinking and. I was just trying to pick your brain as much as I could at ATA about that, trying to relate it back to deer because yeah. their sense of smell is, you know, one of the top, if not the top, sense that you have. Um, and then what we do at the scent control side, is, so just trying to unpack all that with you, it's been pretty, yeah. uh, invaluable. But some of the interesting things that I was excited to hear about when you were talking about some of the dog stuff, and, and in the back of my mind, I was thinking scent control for deer, but, you know, you were talking about, Tra dogs tracking deer and what they're looking for you know most people probably think oh there's you know going for blood you know there's the blood yeah. trail but the adrenaline that a deer puts off when they're hit the the dander or some of those things it 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 was interesting because you know what we try to do with phase especially on the dander side not so much on the adrenaline side quite yet with people but you know we're trying to conceal that dander um basically remove the human odor um and it was just interesting maybe you can break down kind of what dogs are trying to smell yeah and we'll try to relate it back to what deer could potentially be trying to smell and sense for danger yeah i think there's a you know when it comes to tracking stuff so we we have a, a line of products that we have for training dogs for tracking game recovery we used to call it game recovery now called blood trailing because there's people like it was confusing a little to people and we so we call it blood trailing well blood tra it's a little deceptive because blood trailing like that's not necessarily what our dogs are doing like 
blood, if there was blood, I don't need the dog. You know, like it's, it, it's a simplicity of understanding like, wh where does the dog come into this when it comes to game finding? And really, the, I need them when I don't have the blood. Now, is there never, there's never, I don't think, you shoot a deer very rarely, if it's mortally wounded, let's say, because there's a difference. Like, there's a lot of times it's a reality of hunting, and it's unfortunate, but it is a reality. And I don't want to sugarcoat stuff. Like, I, I want to be upfront and honest. Like, every deer that's shot by a hunter doesn't get recovered. It's You want to talk about feeling sick. Any hunter knows it. And so the idea of, but it's also a testament to the toughness of a deer. Like, deer, tough. Like, they're, and think about it. It's their will to survive and live. Like they, you know, I oftentimes think, like I cut my finger the other day, I was baiting bear and I cut my finger and I thought, my God, I'm gonna bleed out here in the woods. Like, I'm not sure I'm gonna make her out of here. But there, there are times where I feel like if what happened to a, an animal happened to a person, we'd lay down and die because we're just really weak and they are extremely tough. And so, but I also thought about it and I went, I don't know though, if it were me, if it were my, if it were, were life and death, literally, like you want, I probably am gonna fight a lot harder than I think I got in me because like nature would take over and I wouldn't be such a weakling, you know, like I gotta watch what I say, but you know, so I think that understanding that part of it is important. Well, then you start breaking it down and going, all right, so I'm gonna use the dog as a tool to find it. Well, the blood, deer don't bleed out. Like they don't, they don't, spill enough blood to die like it, that's not what happens there's a lot of stuff that goes on inside of them right and so when and there are times when you shoot an animal and it's not going to leave this red carpet you know it's not it's not doing that and so but it may very well be a good shot even like i've i've shot deer well you know well placed shot deer didn't go very far and it didn't bleed or very blood very little and so that can be challenging if you're a woodsman it can be challenging if you're not a woodsman it can be really challenging like it could be a matter of you need to be lucky to find it so I hate to think that that's how it is but it's true and so that's where these dogs become so valuable and so efficient like um, you know I worked for an outfitter a really good friend of mine and and I trained a dog for him and he I don't know how many dogs how many deer she's recovered over the years lots scouty you know scout and so that dog became a tool and the way I saw it when I was working there and helping with them was like certain times of the year a lot of deer get shot right if you're a tracker your phone doesn't stop ringing from about the last week of October to the second week of November because there's just so many hunters in the woods and there's so many deer that are getting shot. Like, it's a very busy time. So as an outfitter, my buddy would have people hunting through those time periods while someone shoots a deer and maybe it's a good shot, maybe it's not a good shot, maybe there's a lot of sign, maybe there's not a lot of sign. We took that dog in on every one of them and she recovered every one of them. And what was great about it was is we would put her down on that track and she'd take us right to it. Like, I mean, it, it took a matter, we could go hundreds of yards in the woods and we're there. Like it's a matter of minutes, we're to the deer and we're out of there. And so I looked at that and I went, well, would we have found that without the dog? Yeah, probably. 
Would it have been a lot harder? Yeah, I've tried track. I mean, I've tracked a lot of deer in my life and you're down on your hands and knees and you can't find it. So you're marking the last spot and then you're making circles until you find, someone finds blood and then you, and it's this hopscotch thing from spot to spot to spot until you get, until you find the deer. It all of a sudden, in, if depending on all these conditions, it could, an hour can go past pretty quick and you can, go the wrong way 30, 40 yards and have to start over and then go the other way. And so when you look at the amount of pressure all of a sudden you've put in to your woods during some really prime time, like, God, that's, that's hard. To, like I was talking about going in the woods and setting up in June and July and August and not being so worried about pressure. Well, I don't want to do that in late October. I don't want to make a drive to the neighbor who's hunting. So... I look at the efficiency of these dogs and I, it just blows my mind. But when you get back to like the science of it, if there's no blood, it makes it very hard for us. I don't think blood has anything to do with them finding it. Like there's so many other scent clues. So mortally wounded deer put off unique scents. Non-mortally wounded deer put off unique scents as well. I do believe that a well-seasoned dog that's been on a lot of tracks can tell the difference. I, I, I've seen it. But there's all these other clues, these clues that we talked about where it's like, when I take my dog to the vet, it becomes uncomfortable. Like, I'm uncomfortable. You walk into a clinic, you, they, they clam up, their toes get, you know, their nails all of a sudden are sliding. And, you know, if you bring your dog to the vet, you realize quickly it can turn into not such a positive experience. Well, my dogs, I pride my dogs on, I feed them very, hot, very good food. We've, we've, I've worked on, on, the, on a supplement for the last two and a half years with another company about, it's a health-based supplement that helps with skin, coat, and nails. Those are side effects of it. Those are symptoms of it. But so anyway, we, like, I think my dogs have great coats. And all of a sudden, I go into the vet, and I bring him in, and we go, okay, put her up on the table. So I pick her up on the table, and you look, and the dog's just white. It's a black lab. It's got all this dandruff. It's gets, it looks terrible. It looks, boy, dry skin. The dog is stressed, and so it is instantly exfoliating. It's becoming dandruff. And so you take the dog out. Dog calms back down. You don't have that problem anymore. Well, it's stress that creates that. It causes the skin to exfoliate. And so when you put anything under stress, that happens. So I was talking with this cop. He's a canine trainer in, in New York. Met him at the ATA show years ago. Really nice guy and helped me a lot better understanding some of the scenting things with dogs, which I'm still trying to figure out. Like I'm, there's, I don't know that I'll ever, I don't know that any of us really know. Like you can get as nerdy as you want about it, but there is some science stuff that's very clear and understandable, but then there's some stuff that we just don't know, and I don't know that we will. But this guy was telling me about how he trains primarily shepherds and Malinois, I think is what he worked with, but he would use these dogs to track criminals. But he's in New York, like in the city. So he's tracking, he's telling me stories about tracking people that were running through the streets that had committed some crimes and they're trying to catch them and they're hiding in certain old burnt out buildings and then they're flushing them out of there and chasing them and there's all sorts of distractions let's call them where it could be people other people it's vehicles it's garbage it's stray cats it's all this stuff that gets in the way of this track well this dog can track it and he said what they're really doing is a lot of it is these skin cells off these 
people that are running away after committing a crime. They're just having this rush of adrenaline and they're moving themselves through through the the, the city and they're they're literally leaving skin flakes of skin behind them because they're stressed out like my dog was at the vet. It's dander, it's it's a, it's it's skin. It's specific to them. The dog smells them. That adrenaline smells like you can smell adrenaline. Like a dog can smell adrenaline. A dog can smell um, like kids that like I know. I know some people that do these diabetic alert dogs. They're they're dogs that are trained to uh, ju juvenile diabetes is a big problem. And there's kids that you know can have some major. I'm not a. I'm clearly not a doctor, but there's like big health concerns with it, right? So to be able to understand when these kids are going to have these diabetic reactions, to be able to treat them with whatever it is insulin-wise and all that stuff, like there's value in, in the timing of it to know early. Well, the body puts off scent that the dogs can detect when some of these kids are going to have a, an issue with their diabetes, with their diabetes. And so the body puts off, emits some type of scent, dog senses it, detects it. Dogs smell cancer. They use dogs in hospitals to smell cancer. They, they, you can, they, narcotics. The canine guy was telling me about, like, they can smell such incredible amounts with, with minimal amounts of scent clues but they, it's detectable to them. And so they can be trained to do all this stuff. Well, tracking is really natural. Like, we listened to a bunch of coyotes last night. I mean, if the coyote for, and, and our dogs are descendants of that. If the coyote tracks stuff that he can't catch, he burns calories. If he doesn't replace those calories, he dies. So like the simplest way is the bad trackers died. The good trackers, the ones that were good trackers that were smart, they survived. What are the ones that survived do? They passed their genes on. So the dogs today have, all dogs have this inherent ability to track. I think for us as trainers, it's setting them up. It's giving them opportunities. It's giving them an understanding of what it is we really want them to do because dogs will do just about anything you want them to do. But if you give them an opportunity, and then for training purposes, for me, it's like understanding what it looks like. Again, I can't get in their heads and like figure out how they're processing certain things, but I can set stuff up in training. Like I can lay a trail, I can age a trail, I can use certain scent clues, I can break the trail, I can do it in certain scenting conditions, I can do it in all these different variables. If I pay attention to all those details while I do this simulated track, and then I put the dog on it, and I know where I did all this stuff because I made these notes, whether it be literally writing them down or thinking about it. And then I put the dog on it. And then I start to read the dog. And good trainers read their dogs really well. And I think there's this body language thing that is very important for dogs to understand about us and for us to understand about them. Like, you can read deer's body language. You can tell when he's, you can tell before they blow if they're gonna blow. You can tell by twitches of tails and ears if something is right or wrong. You can tell when they settle down and flick that tail you can tell when they kind of release and they're not as tense. Well, that's all body language stuff that if you pay close attention to, you can decipher it. Or if you don't pay attention to it, it's just a deer. Well, it's the same with a dog. So this dog can tell me on this track, well, what does it do when it loses the scent? Because they're not like robotic, they're not perfect. 
they're they're very much like us, where they get off, they, they're struggling with something, they make a change, they adjust. They're, if it if the adjustment works, you see it in them. Oh, he's back on it. He's back on that scent. If it doesn't work, oh, she's confused a little bit. Oh, she I feel her pulling on the end of that lead. She's on the track. I have one dog right now that I can close my eyes and I don't even have to look at her. I can just tell by the way I feel on the end of the lead. I, I use a tracking lead. And if she's pulling with a certain kind of cadence and pressure, she's on it. If it stops and all of a sudden she starts to work in a kind of a, she's, she's kind of a circular pattern. She'll start moving off, moving off, moving off and making these little swings. She's not on it. So I, it's not for me to like help the dog. I don't, th I think we get in the way as handlers a lot. I think you gotta let the dog do what the dog does, but you better pay attention to it because in training, we know the, we know what, we know how to overlap it with what actually happened. When you're out tracking, you don't. So like you, that's when you have to have some confidence in the idea of, well, they do or they don't know what they're doing right now. And experience is really valuable for them and us. It's like for me, I, if I'm training a young dog to track, I'm taking it on every deer that we shoot. I don't care if it tip, if I saw it tip over from the stand because there's something to be gained out of it, both from the dog's perspective and mine, if you, if you pay attention to it. But like the scent clues themselves, think about it. That guy in New York who's tracking a criminal running through the streets or a gut shot deer that ran through the woods in the, in the lane in the swamp. Like what's easier, what's harder? So I really believe that, um, you know, the, do you need to train them? Yes. The great trainers and great tracking dogs. There's no, I don't know if there's such thing necessarily as just, just exclusively great tracking dogs or great trackers. I think the, the great ones are when they're both really good and they work together. Like you have to have that overlap. It's not so simple to just train a dog to be a tracker and then hand it off. Because if you don't, it'd be like, it'd be like a big backhoe. Like if you had a big excavator, it can do a lot of good stuff. But if you put it in the hands of someone who doesn't know how to run it, like what good does it do you? You know, like, but if you've got a very good, good operator and you give them something that is a piece of junk and doesn't work, how much, you know, you don't get, you can't get it done that way either. So you got to have that, you line those things up and that's when it, that's when it works well. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, but um, one thing that you were talking about there too, you know, reading your dog's body language, that's exactly what we're doing when we're calling deer into, you know, if you're calling to mm -hmm. a deer and you can't read its body language and totally. he's on alert and you're calling more, like you're totally ruining situation. I've been pretty guilty of that, my friend. I can show you a video of that. <laughs> Ben's shaking his head, yes. <laughs> I'm assuming dogs have a lot of the same physical, um, you know, cues yeah. that deer do, ears back, um, I know. I don't have a dog, so I don't, you know, have that reading ability. But I have years of experience in just watching footage of people calling a deer. Yeah. Um, and just trying to, I, I can read a deer really, really well now. But using dog is 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 a huge. There's so much crossover there. On the scent part, um, I just think it's fascinating that that dogs track that dander like that. Um, you know, we designed the phase system for the dander control without. You know, even knowing you, talking to you, understanding that concept. So it was just kind of cool to hear that. It kind of reaffirmed what we were doing. Is right. Well, it, it's reasoning. Now, we don't want criminals yeah. to go out and buy a bunch of phase lotion. <laughs> um, <laughs> to avoid rin-tin-tin. -tin. <laughs> <laughs> 
unless they're going to buy a lot. Yeah. A whole, whole new market. <laughs> but it's interesting. I mean, there's just, you have that, that dog base that it's invaluable. And I just like to, to pull off that and, and use that on, on the deer side as much as I can. Yeah, well, it's, you know, when you, when you bring that up, like, I, I feel like, there's so much stuff for me, a, a core of my life is dogs, like professionally, right? Like I, I, love, I love working with dogs. I get so much, I, I owe the dogs an awful lot because they've given me a lot over the years. But deer, deer are right there next to them. And for me, I think that everything I do with the dogs is really relatable and parallels with stuff that I do with deer or with kids or with family or I mean it's just like there is and I think that a lot of times we don't recognize in life how a lot of that stuff is connected like you know reading deer reading me reading a dog as a as a small business we've got we work with I don't know we've got six seven eight people that we that I work with I have to read each one of those to be a good boss, I better be able to read the people I'm working with because I need to understand like what motivates, what, what discourages, what, like what makes, what, what can I do to make things the best scenario to be able to be maximum production? Like that's pretty important. Well, that's a work thing. Well, you, I don't know, I'm sure there's podcasts out there and I'm sure there's like, speakers that talk about workplace environment and how to build healthy this and healthy that. I bet you the message isn't that different than how to read my dog. I bet you how I read my dog isn't that different to the paying attention to the details of reading the body language of a deer. Like there's all that stuff that, that connects. But I think that sometimes we, we look at it as these compartments and they're big steel cages and, they, and there's no overlap. And I don't think there's an awful lot of it in a lot of different ways. And I think the more like understanding in, of the general stuff, the better you can be in the precise, finite, detailed things, like whether it be deer or dogs or whatever. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that because uh, obviously we've worked together quite a bit and, and I've had the opportunity to see you do a lot of dog training and, and film that. And I that's one thing that interestingly enough, I always took away from that, these these, simplistic foundational things that really apply so much to just life in general rather yeah. than just the dog. And there, like you said, there's so much precise stuff that goes into all these things, but when it comes down to it, everything that we do starts with, and you're the biggest preacher of it that there is, starts with a foundation. It's these simple things and understanding and looking for cues and then how to, like you said, make those cues whether it's a dog or a person or a deer or whatever, do kind of right. what, get the reaction that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Now there's a lot that goes into it, but when it comes down to it, it's a it's a really simple foundational thing at the, at the start of it. I, it's interesting you say that because I always took that away from watching you train dogs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you if you really think about it, you can apply it. Like some of it, you probably maybe got to force it a little bit, but you, pretty naturally, I think can be applied. You if you're filming a uh, 
if you're filming something in the oil and gas industry, it has nothing to do with deer, it has nothing to do with dogs. But if you're in a room with some people and you're filming the commercial for them and the guy's very uncomfortable that you're, you gotta look at that and go, this isn't gonna work because you're just not comfortable enough. We gotta figure, I gotta figure out how to get you comfortable. Is it, what is it, you know? And so then you adjust and does that work? And if he said, and all of a sudden you read him, his shoulders settled a little bit. He's gonna do just fine now because he's, he's comfortable. And so inside of him, He's probably perspiring. He's probably sweating. His pits are getting wet. Well, what does that do? Creates bacteria. He's starting to stink, <laughs> like right here in the, you know. And so if you start thinking about like all those little triggers that happen, well, I, that could apply to a lot of things that we're talking about in this other bubble or this other side of the things, you know. So, yeah, I, I just, that's what I love about what I do. And I'm, I'm admittedly the luckiest guy in the world to do what I do because it's some stuff I really care about and I really like and I really enjoy and I get a ton of value out of. And, but I, I think that, you know, I, I used to work in construction and I wish I knew some of the stuff I know now. I mean, everybody says this, I guess, but I probably would have been better at construction because I would have thought outside of this box of like, yeah, I just drive nails and pour concrete. Like there was probably a lot of things that I could have applied there that would have made that go a little bit better too.